The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Welcome. So glad you're here this morning. And if this is your first time, I just want to say to you that uh, this is who we are. This is what we do every single week. We don't change much about Easter Sunday. Uh, I did buy uh, a suit jacket that is new, and, uh, but that's about the only thing that's new on Easter Sunday. And we're glad you're here and hope you'll come back. If you happen to bring a Bible today, John chapter 11 is our text. John chapter 11 is our text. If you didn't bring one, that's okay. We're going to put the words on the screen. For the last five weeks, we've been in a series called I Am. And today, it was culminating in the passage in John chapter 11, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you this morning for Easter Sunday. God, thank you for hope. Thank you, Jesus, that the grave is empty Thank you, Jesus, that you loved us in your generosity. You willingly went to the cross, Lord. God, thank you this morning. We celebrate not a dead God, but a risen God. This morning, as we read the scripture, God, would you speak to us? We are desperate. God, we don't need religion. We don't need religious practices. We don't need another Sunday morning that's ordinary and normal. God, we need a morning where you show up by the spirit of the living God. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen and amen. A friend of ours this week posted on Facebook, a friend of my wife and ours, uh, she posted on Facebook this screenshot of a text message that she got. I thought it was funny. It was so funny. And I thought, I got to share it with you guys. And the screenshot, the text message she got was from a guy named Ron. And the text message said, good morning, love. This is Ron from the gas station last night. (laughs) I hope you had a good evening. Uh, this, uh, the lady that posted it, her name is Sherry, not Sherry, our assistant, Sherry from another state away. Uh, Sherry is married. This is not her husband. Uh, her husband's name is not Ron. And so I just thought it was funny reading that text message. Good morning, love. This is Ron from the gas station. Have you ever got one of those text messages? You're like, this is, this is, they don't know who they're texting, right? And so you go through that process. Like, wait a minute, did I go to, what gas station was I at last night? And, and who is Ron? I don't even know a Ron, right? And then it dawns on you all of a sudden, oh my gosh, somebody gave Ron the wrong number, (laughs) intentionally or not. I don't know if you can remember or not, if you're married, if you're dating, if you can remember exchanging phone numbers with the person you're dating or the person you're married. That was always so awkward to me. I'm glad I'm married now, almost 13 years. I don't have to exchange numbers ever again, but I just remember that was, I just always felt awkward about it. Like, does she really, does Laura really want to give me her number? Am I going to call tomorrow and Jimmy answer the phone? I mean, does she really want to exchange phone numbers with me? As a pastor, I observe quite frequently, as pastors, we observe quite often people who wrestle with the exchanging of their life for the life that Christ offers him. You know, many of us are willing to exchange things for possibilities that we can imagine, right? Every day, we exchange money today for retirement in the future. Think about it. This week, you'll exchange 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours. God forbid some of you guys work more than that. But you'll exchange 50 hours this week for a lifestyle that you can imagine. Some of you guys, you're not from LA. You're like me. I've been here four and a half years. Some of you exchange the familiarity of home for a new city and the possibilities of a new career and new things that you can imagine. 
As a pastor, we observe quite often people who are wrestling with this idea of exchanging my life for the life that Christ offers. And you know what? All of humanity has wrestled with that question. All of humanity has had to answer that question for themselves. Millions, I would say billions, have answered in affirmative. Yes, I will exchange my life for the life that you offer, Christ. And yet on the opposite side, many millions, even billions, have said, you know what? I can't fathom the idea of exchanging my life for what Christ is offering. The philosopher Thomas Nagel once said, it isn't just that I don't believe in God, and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. The Scottish philosopher Thomas Carlyle once said, if Jesus Christ were to come today, people would not even crucify him. You're like, wow, that's nice. They would ask him to dinner. That's even better. And they would hear what he had to say. Wow, that's amazing. And then he says, and then they would make fun of it. You see, all of humanity has had to answer the question, am I willing to exchange my life for the life that Christ offers? In John chapter 11 today, this passage is pivotal to understanding what it means to enter into this exchange of my life for Christ's life. And so in John chapter 11, we have a story. We have a story of some of Jesus' closest friends. They've encountered an emergency in fact, Martha and Mary have a brother. His name is Lazarus. Jesus knew all three of them. He was close to all three of them. And Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, would you come quickly? Our brother is sick. They sent word to Jesus. You know why? You know why? Because they knew. They had seen that Jesus had performed miracles in the past. And so they sent word to him. Jesus, would you come? Will you heal our brother from sickness? But then the passage goes on, and we understand in verse 17 that Jesus shows up late. And as Jesus shows up late in verse 17, what we see is that Lazarus is no longer sick. Lazarus is now dead. And the question becomes not, will you heal my brother from sickness? The question then becomes, will you exchange his death for life? And so we see in, in John chapter 11, verse 5, this passage begins... And the author of John chapter 11 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I believe the author put that verse there this morning so that you could be sure about the intentions of God towards you. Some of you this morning, in the past, you've considered and contemplated this idea of exchanging your life for the offer that Christ is making you. Will I exchange my life for the life that Christ is offering you? And some of you are wrestling with the intentions of God towards you. Is God going to show up on time? Is God going to satisfy my desires? Is God going to give me what I need? And I believe the author put that there this morning to remind us and for you to be sure of God's intentions towards you. Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus even loved Lazarus. Now read verse six with me. Verse six says, so when he heard, Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick. Listen to what happens. He then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Isn't that strange? Those two verses are juxtaposed against each other. Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But when Jesus got word that Lazarus is sick, Jesus didn't rush to his aid. He didn't rush to arrive. Jesus stayed where he was for two days. How can that be love? 
When Jesus does arrive in John chapter 11, verse 17, Lazarus is no longer sick. Lazarus is now dead. His body is cold. Bacteria is setting in. The body is decomposing. The time for healing has passed. The time for mourning has begun. How is that love? Jesus missed his window of opportunity. And so these two verses are juxtaposed against one another. Can I ask you this morning, before we get into verse 17, have you ever felt the tension of the claims of God in your present situation? Have you ever felt the tension between the claims that God has towards you and what you're currently walking through? Have you ever wondered this morning, if I trust my life to Jesus, if I trust my life to Jesus, will Jesus show up on time? Will Jesus satisfy my every need? Will he give me all that I desire? Does Jesus really love me or is he just in it for what he can take from me? Now, verse 21 of John chapter 11 says this. Martha makes the request. Remember, they requested Jesus to come heal their sick body, the the body of their brother who was sick. Now, verse 21, Lazarus is dead. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, listen to what she said. If you had been here, can't you hear the angst in her request? Can't you hear and feel the tension that Martha has wrestled through? Jesus, I know you love me, but had you been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22, by the way, By the way, this is Martha who shows up. When Jesus comes, Martha leaves the house and goes to meet Jesus. Mary is still sitting in the home. Listen, verse 22. But I know, Martha says to Jesus, that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. In other words, Martha says to Jesus, Jesus, I have no doubt that you have the power, that you have the might, that you have the ability to take my dead brother and raise him from the dead, to give him new life. I know you can, Jesus, but my question is, will you exchange his death for new life? The question changes. Not now can you heal my sick brother. Will you raise my brother from the dead? Will you exchange his death for new life? Now, if you've been around church, you know the rest of the story. It's not an unfamiliar story. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. I love it. I practice it, but I'm not going to read the story this morning. Lazarus stands in the tomb, and he says with a loud voice, the scripture says, come forth, Lazarus. I just imagine. It's so awesome. And Lazarus is raised from the dead. We know the end of the story. It's a miracle, but listen to me. The miracle describes this morning the extent of God's love for you, the extent of God's intentions towards you. But listen to me. The miracle, the miracle that Jesus is about to perform serves to point to a whole nother reality. Listen to it. I don't want you to miss it this morning. John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Verse 18, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. He wasn't far. Verse 19, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Can't you sense it? Can't you sense Mary's anger towards Jesus? 
Can't you sense the tension that she feels towards Jesus? Jesus, had you showed up, my brother would not have died. In fact, later, Martha goes back to Mary, and Martha says to Mary, Mary, the teacher is here. Mary stands up, and it says she ran to Jesus, and she asked the very same question that Martha is about to ask here in verse 21. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Listen to Martha. Martha answered, and she says, no, 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 I know he will rise again in the resurrection. You can sort of sense how Martha is, is talking. No, 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 Jesus, I get it. I believe there's going to come a day when the dead will rise. I get, I've got that theological belief, Jesus. I know my brother will rise again. But Jesus, am I ever going to see him again in this life? And Martha's got the same tension. She's asking a straightforward question to Jesus. Now listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who, listen to me, if you have a Bible and you're writing with it, underline this word. The one who believes in me will, will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He asked it again, Martha, do you believe this? Martha's asking a straight up question. Jesus, can you bring my brother back to life? Will you exchange death for life? Jesus has an answer beneath the answer. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I am God. I am outside of time. I've already been to the last day when the dead are raised. I was there on the first day before everything was created. I am the author of life. I am the giver of life. A resurrection is a return to life. Jesus is saying, I am the author of a return to life, and I am the author of life itself. Jesus is saying to Martha, the resurrection is not just a future event. The resurrection is a person. I am that person, and I have come to reverse the brokenness of this world. I've come to strip the power of death itself. I have come to heal the pain that you are experiencing in your life now. Listen to what Jesus is saying to Martha. Martha, what you are about to witness, you know the end of the story here, what you are about to witness is a shadow. It's but a shadow of things to come. The answer to your question, Martha, is yes, I am willing to exchange death for life in a way that you don't even understand as I'm talking to you now. You see, Martha, they're going to crucify me. Martha, they're going to put me in a grave, Martha. When they put me in a grave, you start counting to three because on the third day, the heavenly father is going to raise me again and I will be more alive than I've ever been. They'll put me in that grave, Martha, but I'm going to come back. And what I'm about to do for you and what I'm about to do for Mary and what I'm about to do for dear life is but a shadow of what I'm about to do for humanity. I am indeed willing to exchange 
death for life. Martha, it will be my death so that you can have life. Martha's got this straightforward question. Jesus, will I ever see my brother again? Will you exchange his death for new life? And Jesus is giving Martha more than she ever bargained for. (laughs) What you're about to see me do for Lazarus is what I'm going to do for all of humanity. Yes, I am willing to exchange my life so that you can have new life. Abundant life, joy-filled life, peace-filled life, purpose-filled life, a meaningful life. Can I say to you this morning, and you can write this down, hope is never lost when Jesus is present. Hope is never lost when Jesus is present. Listen to what he says in verse 25. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is so classic Jesus. He says it the first time. You're like, wait a minute. I didn't get that. Can you say that one more time? He's like, do you believe this? Martha's like, oh my gosh, yes, wait. Hold on a second. Can you repeat the question, Jesus? I'm kind of confused. Wait a minute. Even if I die, I'm going to live. But if I live, I'm confused, Jesus. Can you restate the question? You see, Martha doesn't yet have a full understanding of what's about to take place. Martha has not yet seen because she is pre-death, burial, and resurrection. We are post-death, burial, and resurrection. She doesn't have a full understanding of the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus on the third day. Listen to me. The reality of the miracle that Jesus is about to perform, you need to hear this, is yes, I am willing and I am able to exchange my death for your life. He's making that author offer to Mary and Martha here in John chapter 11. But can I say to you today, he's making that offer to us this morning. He's still making that offer. And that offer is very simple. I'm going to die a death I did not deserve so that you can have a life you did not earn. I died Now I will live so that you can live and never have to die. You can live because I have died. Jesus has been making that offer for 2,000 years. Can I say to you, it is such a simple offer. Jesus died for our sins so that we could experience new life in him. It's so simple. Yet for 2,000 years of history, people have been trying to reconcile this offer that Jesus is making, this offer to exchange his death for new life that he wants to give us. And so this offer has been manipulated and reconstructed and and reformed. And I would imagine even on Easter Sunday, April 21, 2019, we, we find ourselves, all of us, desiring life, desiring real life, joy-filled life, a full life, a meaningful life, a purposeful life, unity with God. Some of us find our way into an Easter service on a Sunday morning. We find our way into this auditorium this morning. We're searching. Some of us are curious. Some of us, on the other hand, are disillusioned, maybe even disinterested, but willing to offer an hour this year. I don't know your motivation for being here. I just want to say to you, I am so glad that you are here. I'd be willing to bet that if you're like most of humanity, you're searching. 
You're hoping, you're praying. You're trying to find a more meaningful, purposeful, better way of life. We're all searching for real life. So many people in this world on this Sunday morning find their way into a church service and they're asking the same question that Martha asked. Jesus, can you resurrect a new life in me? Can you turn what seems to be dead and dull and dying and not living up to expectations and can you give me a new life, something vibrant? And yet Jesus has offered, listen to me this morning, it's so simple. It's so plain, but it's so distorted by the trappings of religion, religious practices, self-restraint. Can I say to you this morning, God cannot be manipulated. God can't be manipulated this morning by a Sunday morning church attendance. He can't be manipulated this morning by giving to an offering or, or praying before you got out of bed or praying before you go to bed on Easter Sunday. That's all man-made religion to believe that those things are going to gain favor with God for you. And worst of all, can I say this to you this morning? Maybe if you're curious and interested or disillusioned, disinterested, you're wondering what's up with all this religion, what's up with what Jesus is asking for us, if you buy into the false belief that all of these religious practices showing up on a Sunday morning is going to gain God's favor for you, it's going to move the ball down the court for you so that God would accept you. Can I say to you, it has no relevancy. Worst of all, it cannot give you life. It has little ability to harvest the meaningful life that you're looking for this morning. Because religion is deceptive. And can I say to you this morning, your condition, can I say this to you as a pastor, shepherd, doctor this morning, your condition is far worse than a prescription of a religious practice. Your condition is far worse. Your condition, in fact, is so bad that it's likened to a dead man who's been in a grave for four days. And the only hope of resurrecting new life is for God to intervene on your behalf. And that's what Easter week is about. God stepped in on your behalf. God intervened for you to do what you had no power to do. Listen to me this morning. God was willing to exchange his death for your life. He was willing to exchange his death for your life. And maybe Easter Sunday is a good day to try to find the life that you're looking for. I would say nowhere is it more evident God wants to give you an extraordinary life. In fact, just one chapter earlier in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came to give you life, not just to give you life. I want to give you abundant life. And nowhere is that intention towards you. Listen to me. If you're struggling with the intentions of God towards you, what does he want from me? What's he going to take from me? How is he going to restrict me? Does he really love me? Is he going to show up on time? Is he going to give me what I need? Is he going to satisfy my desires? Nowhere is God's intention and his love for you more evident than the events of the week of Easter. Think about it for a moment. There are things that happen on on the week of Easter that are unprecedented. There are words that were created from the experience of Easter week that describe the extent to which Jesus is willing to go to give you new life. When Jesus hung on the cross, the scripture says he experienced, you know the word? Excruciating pain. The word was created from the experience on the cross. Excruciating means from the cross. It's softball season. I can't wait for it to start. We're gonna win the championship this year. 
We came in second place last year. We won it the year before. We're not going to lose it this year. <laughs> Two years ago, I'm playing softball for our church team. And I'm rounding second, and I come around third, trying to be the hero and win the game for our team. And I come around third, and something bad happened. My, my calf muscle popped. I literally popped my calf muscle. And, and so I was trying to be the hero. It's never good when you're 40 and you're trying to be the hero in church softball. <laughs> I called my wife, and so I, I, I didn't get sympathy from teammates. So I called my wife and was trying to get sympathy from her. And I'm like, baby, I, this is excruciating pain. You got to come get me. And she's like, that's not excruciating pain. <laughs> I don't know what you said, but I assume it has something to do with childbirth, all right? <laughs> that's not excruciating pain. Excruciating pain is a level that you nor I have ever experienced. But Jesus did. The irony of religion and trying to live up to a standard that, that Jesus is that Jesus so restrained himself with unrivaled perfection such that it attained unity with God. The irony of religion and trying to live up to all these things is that Jesus actually did it. And he did it in such a way that you could never rival the purity and the holiness of Jesus. It could never again be matched. You can never rival the perfection of Jesus. You can never match the holiness of Jesus. You can never contend with the flawlessness of Jesus. You can never challenge the purity of Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of purity and holiness and flawlessness and perfection. Listen to me. And we can never replicate it. We can never duplicate it. And not only that, but you can never earn it through religious practices. You can never achieve the perfection of Jesus by moral goodness. You can never acquire it by good deeds. Listen to me this morning because some of you are trying. You simply cannot come close to rivaling the goodness of God and his perfection in all of your efforts to do so. Don't even come close. I'm five foot 11 and I'm, a, I'm honestly a pretty good athlete. You may think differently. But I can't dunk a basketball. I, I, I can get close. I can touch the rim. I just can't seal the deal. I've never been able to do it. You're like, Matt, I, I'm 6'4". I can dunk a basketball. I can do it around my waist, through my legs. I can do a double flip. I can jam it. Not on God's court, you can't. Not on God's court, you can't. The standard of goodness on God's court is a thousand-foot goal. You don't have a slingshot. You don't have a plane that can get you there. You can't rival the standard of Jesus on the cross. Now listen to me and write this down. Because Jesus did something you cannot do, he alone has the right to give you something you cannot give yourself. Because Jesus did something you cannot do, he alone has the right to give you something, let me say it in a different way, that you cannot earn. He alone. My mom, for years, was a hairstylist. We have some ladies, some guys in our church who are stylists. My mom, for years, cut hair. She styled hair. Occasionally, she had the creepy responsibility to go to funeral homes and style hair for dead people. 
So she called me a couple years ago and she's like, Matt, I just experienced something that's wild and crazy. I'm like, okay, tell me about it. This is going to be great. And so she's like, I, I styled the dead guy's hair. And for some of you, death is really weird, so I apologize. But she's like, I, I, I styled the dead guy's hair. When I was done, the funeral home wheeled him out, the casket out into the viewing area where the family was waiting. And all of the family had been waiting for the casket to come out because they were going to pray to raise this dead man from the dead. She said they wheeled the casket out and the family started praying. They started shouting. They started crying. They, my mom said they literally flew somebody in from another state to help them raise the dead man from this casket. I'm intrigued. I'm like, mom, what happened? <laughs> she says, son, well, when I left the funeral home, the dead man was still in the casket. I'm 41 years old. And I don't care if I live to be 100. I will never see anyone raise a dead man from a casket. But I'm standing here today. Because 2,000 years ago, God raised a dead man from the tomb. And I know thousands who have walked the Via Dolorosa and ended up at the garden tomb and they looked in and I want to testify to you today that the bones and the body of Jesus are not there. And if they are, Paul says, if they are, we are gathered in vain. But listen to me. But if Jesus did, if Jesus did rise from the grave, can I say to you this morning, he now offers you and me a life of perfection before the eyes of God. Not only that, but he offers you a life of purpose and he offers you a life of meaning. Why? Because Jesus died the death we deserve so that we can live the life that he deserves. Because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, I have all the benefits of peace with God. That's what Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Because of the resurrection, we have all the benefits of peace with God. And listen to me. We did nothing to earn it. But when we place our trust, we place our sin, when we place our trust and our sin on Jesus to take it, the Bible says he exchanges that trust with a new life, a different life than we had before. True life, let me testify. Peaceful life, joy-filled life, meaningful life, life with purpose. We call this the great exchange, God's death for our new life. Life. Can I say to you this morning, God just doesn't forgive us of our sins. It's not that God just looks at us like, okay, well, you know what? Let's call it truth. All good. You offended me, but it's good. I'll forget it. I'll never bring it up again. Don't worry about it. We're not going to even bring it up again. It's not that God just does that. Like, I forgive you. It's all good. The Bible says God goes another step. He forgives you, and then he assigns Jesus's perfect righteousness to you. He forgives you and then gives you what you did not earn, what you did not deserve, what Jesus alone had the right to give you. He assigns that 
to you. An incredible exchange happened that first Easter weekend. An incredible exchange happened that first Easter weekend. Christ got all of our sin and all of our guilt. (laughs) We got all of his perfect righteous standing before God. His righteousness was exchanged for my sin. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. He, he, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Maybe Easter Sunday is your attempt to cover up the mess of life. I don't know your story. I know your story is welcome here regardless of mess or success. Maybe you showed up today and Easter Sunday is your attempt to cover up that mess. Maybe it's your attempt to pay God back. Maybe it's your attempt to find new life. I want to say to you this morning, that effort and that attempt is not new. It goes all the way back to the garden, if you know the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve finally knew sin when their sin was exposed in the opening pages of Scripture. Adam and Eve, you know what they did? The Bible says they hid from God. Why? Because they recognized the devastating effects of sin. They knew, I'm naked. Never knew it before. Sin. They were ashamed because they were naked. They hid from God. They knew the devastating effects of sin. They were acutely aware of the devastating effects of sin. And because of it, they hid from God. They were ashamed and knew their sin wasn't natural. They knew innately this is not how God intended for it to be. (laughs) Just a few minutes later, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, God acknowledges that they're hiding from him. God acknowledges their sin. He acknowledges their shame. He acknowledges their guilt. He acknowledges their nakedness. You know how God responded? How dare you? No. You know how God responded? I cannot believe. No. You know how God responded? This is all on you. No. You know how God responded? Adam, Eve, I've got something for you. God had fashioned clothes out of animal skins. And God in his grace and his mercy, his love towards Adam and Eve, covered their shame, their nakedness, and their guilt And that's exactly what happened. It was perfected for all time when Jesus came. He died. He was buried. He rose again on the third day, making it possible for God to exchange our guilt, our sin, for Jesus' perfect righteousness. You know the great exchange that happens at Easter? It's not just God giving us a perfect standing. It's also God giving us a new life. The beauty of Resurrection Sunday means that God is not done offering you a new life. Exchange of the old that has no purpose, full of idols, life that doesn't live up to its expectations. And he says to you today, I want to replace it with a new and incredible grace-filled life. Now, as I close, I want to close in verse 26. Jesus had a question for Martha. After he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Even if you die, you'll live if you believe in me. Even though you're living now, one day you're going to die, but you will never die if you believe in me. And then Jesus says to Martha, same thing. Listen to me. He's saying to you today, do you 
believe. Do you believe? You see, there's one thing required. You see, there's, there's one thing that's required for receiving this life that God offers, for knowing his goodness. It's outlined three times in verse 25 and 26. It happens eight times in the first 46 verses of John chapter 11. It's the word believe. John chapter 11, verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Verse 42, I knew, God, that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 45, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, by the way, many who were skeptical, listen to what verse 45 says, and had seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Verse 26, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha's response, verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe. Verse 15, before this entire miracle takes place, Jesus is with his closest group of people, his disciples. And he says to them, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Belief is not simply acknowledging an agreement with a set of facts. Biblically, belief means that my mind, my emotions, and my will, all three of them, all wrapped up in everything that I am, my mind, my emotions, and my will have an agreement with believe in, have a trust in, and are willing to move forward in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus for my sins, exchanging his life for my life. Your mind, your emotions, your will are all wrapped up in it. And they all say, and they all agree, I trust you, Jesus, for what you have done. Do you believe? Do you believe? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? I want to pray for us this morning as we close. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Have you ever believed? Have you ever trusted Jesus with this offer that he's making that was perfected on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection? Nothing magical or mystical about it. We don't make you say anything you don't want to say, stand on the stage, do anything you don't want to do. This has to be this moment where you have conversation with God and you tell him, God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I believe it. God, I trust you that you will take that sin and forgive me, but God, I believe today you will go one step further and you will assign the perfect righteousness of Jesus to me so that there is nothing on earth that can separate me from your love. And even, even after this earth ends, I'll continue to live because you have accepted me. If you've never trusted your life to Jesus, would you do it today? Don't delay. You didn't just show up on a Sunday morning in April of 2019 for another religious practice. God brought some of you here today to change your life, to save you, so that you could put your trust and your hope in Jesus. Would you do that today? Would you do it right now? Trust Jesus for salvation. Let him change you. Let him save you. Lord, we commend ourselves to you this morning. Thank you for the cross, the resurrection. Lord, if it was not true, we're here in vain. But God, the tomb is empty. We trust in you this morning. In Jesus' name.